My name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So, Connor. Yes, Jason. Today we're going to be considering the parable of the sower. And I was curious, in the spirit of planting, gardening, that kind of thing, uh, do you have any experience gardening? I do have a little bit of experience gardening. I, I, out of all the, out of all my family, I kind of have probably the the biggest green thumb, and that's that's not saying a whole lot. But I have, I remember this, there was a story. We moved into the house we're currently living in about three to four years ago, and it hadn't been lived in in like maybe like a year at this point. And so we have a, um, there's a there's a garden bed right out front, and it had been getting overgrown. It was towards the beginning of the summer, and I was like, okay, you know what? I want to plant some stuff in there. I'm going to spend, I'm going to get home from work. I'm just going to spend four to five hours in 80 degree weather just pulling up weeds, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get it over with, and then the next day I can come and do the fun part in planting because like that's the the dirty secret with like planting anything is like the preparation is like the is the is the worst part the actual doing it is is the fun part and so i i go through i'm meticulous there's some already pre-planted things there that i don't pull up i'm only pulling up the bad stuff and and i do this four or five hours drenching sweat i go in i take a shower uh and then i come out and maybe i took a nap or something like that and an hour or two later my landlord who happens to live down the street saw that i was pulling stuff up and just decided oh we're going to pull everything out. And so he came in and just buzzed down. Like, and I've been like, and I could have done this, but I was meticulous with how, like with the stuff I pulled up and the stuff I didn't, we just went with a, with just a weed whacker and like a buzzsaw and just knocked over everything. And I have never been so dejected. And in fact, uh, I have ref- just at, at like more principle. I have not done anything to that. Like there's like a miniature jungle growing in our front, um, in our front thing, because like I was so dejected because I mean, I just put so much effort into it. And within like two hours, like it was just, it was ruined. I, 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 I feel your pain. I don't have a similar story. I ruin things well on my own. I, and, and I think my wife probably could do it well. I assume it's me. I, that I love tomatoes in particular, fresh tomatoes. So if you're listening to this and have a stockpile of fresh tomatoes, I will eat a bag full. Seriously. Um, so anyway, so I was like, Hey, we should do this. And I'm telling you, we are on attempt five, like right as we speak and, uh, still not going well. Like, I think over the whole, if we've gotten three tomatoes that were larger, like we don't plant cherry tomatoes, but we've only harvested cherry sized <laughs> tomatoes and, uh, and those, those three were good, but, uh, yeah, I am, I am the worst at that kind of thing. It is fascinating though. So like, I'm not, I'm not super great at it. I've had limited success here or there, but there is like, as a, just a completely 21st century man, as somebody who's just attached to their technology and, you know, if I have any free time. And I'm, you know, just going to throw it in there because you have to obligatory. I'm not speaking with my daughter or my wife, you know, whatever. Anyways, if I, if I'm going to be playing video games or watching watching something. <laughs> right. um, that's like that's that's what I do. But there is something just genuinely. Um, uh, I don't know if it's connecting or if it's uplifting or if it's I don't know what it is, but there is a feeling that I get whenever I do any sort of um, any sort of working working the earth. And that's that's the few times that it's worked out for me. Like right now I have an avocado tree grown in our back back room. That's about six feet tall right now. And I'm hoping in the next year or two, it might start to fruit. Um, it's about four, four or five years old. And that's by far the most success I've ever had in my entire life with planting anything. Um, but it is this, it's this weird thing of this, this proud pride and connection 
Um, ironically, it's so much like I have a baby now. It's so much easier to keep a baby alive than it is to keep a plant alive. It's so <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, I mean, in fact, there have been times where I took I took care of plants. Like I was like meticulous, and I was like I had the spare time, and so like I was I was measuring like pH, like the content of the soil, and all those other things. And I was like I was honed in, like I'm honed in on my baby, and it would just die within a week, no matter what I did. And so, um, it, it it's so funny our next question is. Our next question is, did you have any fears coming into parenting? Uh, <laughs> so. n- not at all. all. Not at all. Although it, it is it is something funny we talk about, like, um, as, like, clumsy people, you know, you drop your keys here, there. You, like, I drop something at least once a day or I spill something. And the pressure to not drop your baby just one. Like, you drop your baby one time and everybody freaks out. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, you're, you're always going to be that guy. That, that guy, guy that dropped his baby. I know. But it, it, is, a, it is a very funny dynamic of, like, um, of just thinking about, of the audacity of, of people that somebody like me who like I've gotten one plant or two plants in my life to succeed to be like, you know what? I could raise a functioning, well-adjusted member of society. <laughs> you know, I could do that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, that's amazing. So today we're, as I said, we're looking at the parable of the sower. And we're going to look at the account uh, recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So, Connor, out of this parable of the sower, what amazes you? So this is a a very jam-packed parable, and we've, I wanted to study this on Amazing and Perplexed, I don't know, I mean, dozens of times, at least for the past year, it's it's been one on my mind. And now that we've got here... I've got something almost that what amazes me about this. We'll talk about there's some content and some things that Jesus says here that amazes me. Um, but just the parable itself is is really kind of is hitting me in a, in a different way, um, a, a different way this morning. So, you know, when we read when we read scripture, when we read these things that happened two thousand years ago, there's a sense of like, well, man, how does this? How, what would, how would Jesus frame it today, or how would um, Jesus say it today? And what like does this really hit home for you know your modern um, urban um, urban dwelling you know citizen of the world that like the average person is today? And the thing that just keeps that just has been hitting me over and over again since you read that is how um, is how, how well rounded Jesus is. So you think about Jesus who grows up as a 
um, he's a work. He's basically a laborer. He grows up as a worker. Whether you know, there's some arguments on um, when they people is a carpenter or if he's just a regular laborer. But basically, like he's a, he's a grunt. He's a grunt guy. He's not you know some super uber specialist. Um, and he grows up in a pretty know nothing village in the middle of the Middle East. And yet, over and over again, we, when we read through the passages of Jesus, when we read through his parables, he comes at things from so many different angles, right? Like he doesn't, he, when he talks about the kingdom of God, when he talks about relationship with the Father, when he talks about love, when he talks about the gospel, uh, I feel like it'd be so, like if Jesus hadn't made a concerted effort to be worldly, to have a well-rounded approach to sharing the gospel, it'd be so easy for him to own, like we, we talk about it from the perspective of like, this is only, like only the people in his context would understand this. But I think about um I mean, it just, it just continues to amaze me how, like when I think about all the different ways that Jesus chooses to communicate these truths, all the different ways that he approaches scripture, um, he's not just speaking it like he would have, like it would have been common of the day of knowing, you know, knowing what the planting process was like, but this wasn't what Jesus lived every single day. And so Jesus is making a concerted effort to reach out to these different aspects of life that he isn't living directly that he knows of, but he's not living directly and, and using these to connect with, with different people. Um, and this is just something that is, is truly incredible for me because I think about how specialized we have become today uh, and how how many more opportunities we have to be well-rounded, how many more opportunities we have to, to broaden our horizons and to gain perspective on, on different um on just different ways of, of seeing and viewing the world and, and, and how we can communicate those to other people. And so, yeah, for, for Jesus who grew up most of his life with, you know, he grew up his entire life without the internet. Uh, the fact that he is so, uh, he, this is how he chooses to approach and communicate is, is miraculous to me. Yeah, I, that is that is really really good, and I, I would almost contrast that with our with, with all the access we have to so much. We have such a struggle as humanity not to um, long for an echo chamber that only reflects what we already think. I mean, it's such a problem in Christianity. It's such a problem in politics. Where one of the things that holds me back from new information is I don't seek new sources of information. Mm-hmm. I seek confirmation sources. I'm like, am I right? Am I right? You know, kind of thing. And as soon as you tell me I'm wrong, if I don't have to stay in relationship with you, I find a way out of that relationship. And and I know that that makes it very specific, but I think it's 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 generally true of us today that we have so much more access to information and we tend not to value the well-roundedness. And Jesus demonstrates well-roundedness. And it's funny because I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have thought you use the term worldly, and I've I grew up thinking worldly equals sinful, and it, it can. Mm-hmm. You're, you're of course not saying it was sinful. You're saying aware of the world, mm-hmm. and I, and I think and there's models. I can't even. I don't even know how to what the word for it is, but you know I've heard this since I was young in my education. You know, church against culture, church in culture, church of culture, church yeah. with culture. You know these kind of. It's basically the posture that the church takes towards the culture. But I think a lot of churches take an adversarial role or feel like the world is adversarial mm-hmm. and Jesus moves smoothly through these settings and and has a good understanding of of the the dynamics there and is beyond it in other words he doesn't just see the tax collector as this guy robs from us he has the nuance because you couldn't relate to them um, and and then feel comfortable with you unless you understood kind of what makes them tick mm-hmm. you know and and it applies to farming which there's no sense that he did any farming. It applies to fishing. There's no sense that he ever did any fishing. I mean, we don't know. He could have been an expert fisherman, an expert farmer. But but yeah, like you said, he was probably a laborer in this one region. His exposure, they wouldn't even have a general newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was all word of mouth information then. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have this waste. So his limitations 
uh, would have been pretty obvious. And especially when you see him moving, we really devalue how savvy he was when talking to a Herod or when talking to a pilot and he's not overcome. Like like when, when you have a rookie go into like the NBA finals or the you know World Series or pick some sport you like, you know, I, I just picked one I didn't. But anyway, um, but it was the idea of we're stunned when they can live up to that moment. Mm. And and I and this is the challenge is how much of God is coming through and how much of humanity is is coming through. Mm. You know, but it says in Philippians two, he emptied himself of God. So and and then he he says in John five that he only shares what God gives him in the moment. And so this is a, a super remarkable human. I mean, just really remarkable. Well, I think it's an attitude that you have to cultivate. And I love I love how this is how Jesus chooses to communicate. He uses this this imagery and these these metaphors of of planting and sowing because I mean, this is this is something ingrained in humanity since the very beginning. The idea of the idea of cultivating and sowing. I mean, that goes back to the Garden of Eden. In fact, before even before the fall, there was an expectation that there would be cultivation, that there would be creation, that there would be labor, good and healthy labor. And I I, I love that Jesus is using um, is using this image because for me, and I think man, I think a lot of times for the Jews, there would have been this drawback to like when we talk about man when. When seed get ca- when seed gets cast on good soil, when it when it really when it goes the way it's supposed to go, when people hear how they're supposed to hear, when the nutrient when the soil is nutrient rich and and your efforts meet you know the right person or the right circumstances and life flourishes. I mean that that goes back to how life is supposed to have been for all of eternity, for all of eternity, and eventually how it will be. And for me, that just man I, that that just is coming through so much when we're talking right here of of man, the power, um, and you just, yeah, just the mindset that Jesus has here is just, is really coming through for me. I, I think, I think it's just, it's, he is, he is so fascinating. Uh, that's the thing is I just think he is so fascinating and I devalue him, the human, and obviously Jesus was God and man, but I devalue, this is what just keeps coming up for me, um, is that dynamic of I devalue the human Jesus. And, and we've talked about this before, that adage that, that, the Pharisees couldn't see Jesus as deity because of his humanity, and we can't see Jesus' humanity because of his deity. And I think that just continues to be true in my own heart is just that is that is really remarkable. You, you know what jumps out at me in this in terms of amazement is the this is the plan. Like like it, I would expect almost when he says this is the meaning of the parable, the seeds of the word of God, along the path, you have the one that hears. You know, we're like, okay, so we're to be the sower because you're entrusted with the word of God and I am. And so is anybody that chooses to walk with God. And this is the plan. That's the dumbest plan ever. You know what I mean? It's it's just so irresponsible to do it this way. You have this preciousness of the word of God. And I was in my 20s, I was part of an education system and I would hear tossed around, you may be the only Bible that someone will ever read. I'm sure I've referenced it here because it made such an impression on me because that articulated the pressure I'd felt since I was a kid. Like if you are not saving these people around you, you're condemning them, you know, because God has no power. Obviously, this all powerful God is limited to your six-year-old self, you know, or your 12 or 18 or 25-year-old self. And, and I just felt this pressure, so much pressure, I didn't share the gospel at all because I was like, well, I'm going to mess it up. If I'm the only Bible I'll ever read, I'm a terrible Bible, and so I'm just shutting down. And then this speaks nothing about the character of the sower. Matter of fact, in any other story, you're like, okay, how many seeds do you have? 
I have 500. Where are you going to put them? Ah, I'm going to throw a little on a pathway and a little bit in rocky soil. You're like, you're really bad at this. Like, you're the worst. Like, no other sower in history is worse than you. So he's a very ignorant sower, we would think, except Jesus presents this as, as the way it works, you know? And this is the kingdom. Now, I'm taking out of the agricultural dynamic. The kingdom is that that I am just, I'm, I think in church culture, I think there's things we can borrow from business culture. But I think we really have to be super careful because the bottom line with business culture is perfect a system and then work that system. And Jesus, the kingdom is the opposite. It's like we have a messy system and enjoy it because every time my humanity wants to perfect the system and get the message refined and, oh, this is the secret, you know, this is how we're going to change the world, um, I mess it up. You know, I mess it up. And I, I don't think it's the strategy that messes up. It's my control that messes it up. And so the fact that the the optimum presentation of the gospel is you throw it everywhere, I'm like, Jesus, you need some branding help. You need some strategy help. And yeah. he's saying, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, I think about I think about my own story. And, and I mean, I would I would bet that this is most people's case. When you think about how you were saved or how God got you or, you know, just how you kind of came to choose to follow Jesus. Very rarely was it, I, I would say for most people, most stories I've ever heard, there was almost a scattershot approach of this. There was this occurrence that connected with this thing that happened with me when I was a child. And then this came out of nowhere. And, and it's just all these, these confluence of events happen that lead you to this decision. And it's almost like, I know for me, I get saved. I, I decided to follow Jesus and these wild circumstance of events that leads to it. That like there could be no meticulous planning of it. There could be no, oh, Con- like Connor is, is the fertile soil in this situation. Let, let's really plan out how we're going to plant the seed there. Um, there could be none of that. Uh, and yet... Through the casting, through the through the process of the sower, eventually, you know, I I come to know and follow Jesus. But when I then go, so that, that that's what happened for me. But then when I go, okay, well, how does it happen for somebody else, or how does that happen for other people? It immediately becomes it has to go. It has the system has to happen, and it's such a um, narrow view of what God is doing because, like, when we view what God is doing, is only it only it like I only see what God is doing when it happens to me, or I only see what happens when God is doing when I cast a seed and it doesn't sprout, or when it falls on rocky soil. Like, if if our view of what God is doing in our lives, or through other people's lives, or through the church, is only viewed um, based on one seed that's thrown, or two seeds that are thrown, or a handful here or there, then man, we're not even going to be getting a correct picture. We're not going to be getting the correct idea. And that could be even when things are positive and good and even when things are negative. And so I think this whole approach um, is just so like it's so liberating. I mean, it is it is absolutely liberating. Um, And and I I think about um, the things that we tell people like I I remember this as as a youth as a youth minister. There'd be times when like we're going to do like a youth led service and kids were going to get up and speak. And there'd be a lot of anxiety in my park. It's like, what if the kid says the wrong thing? Or what if the kid, you know, what if he like, you know, I can allow one or two heresies. But like, what if it's just like, what if it's something really bad? What if it's something really bad? Um, But there is this sense of like, there's this beautiful sense that I get here. And I'm not saying like, obviously we don't like work with kids and we don't try to figure it out. But there is a beautiful sense here that, that the sower is just, man, the sower is just out there and he's got the word of God and he's just out there and he gets things wrong. He toss, he makes bad tosses. He makes bad throws. He's just having a good time. It reminds me almost of like, you know, go to the, go to the realm of basketball. It's on my mind. Cause tonight's the, the NBA lottery. And so all I can think about is, is I'm a thunder, huge thunder fan. And it's like the biggest night of my life. Um, <laughs> 
So uh, all I can think about is basketball. But you've seen so it, this. You, if you've seen a basketball player um, that just loves the game and is just out there having fun, even in like a highly competitive match, you a highly competitive game, you can you can really tell that man they, they feel loose out there. They feel confident. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they turn the ball over here or there. Maybe they make a bad they, they miss a bad shot. But man, they still feel confident. They feel man. I I, I know this game. I know how to play. But if you get somebody who isn't confident, you get somebody that you know um, feels like they have to get everything right. I'm thinking of like Ben Simmons and like they miss a, they miss like just a terrible free throw. They airball a shot they throw a ball out of bounds and they start to like clinch up and they start to be like well if i don't do anything then i can't turn the ball over if i don't take a shot i can't miss a shot um and and i think the the liberating nature of of the gospel and what jesus is trying to communicate here is he's not saying hey you need to be the lebron james of of sharing the gospel it's okay if you know you're the ben simmons of sharing the gospel (laughs) as long as you're going and you're trying and you're casting the seed i i think that's really good it's funny to me you know i i must say my my friend david buchanan I will often say all models, he's quoting somebody else, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And and a parable is a form of model, so how far can we take Jesus meant this very specifically. I he's talking about the NBA. That we, you can read between the lines. You think Jesus is like, who do we add to? I can't even think of a Thunder player right now. So anyway, um, who's the guy? <laughs> uh, Shay Gilgis. There, there, there's Shay. Um, anyway, but if you were to say, hey, I hired this guy to, to plant, you would... You would immediately, oh, you have a field, yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, and how'd that go? He threw it everywhere. And you'd immediately think he was completely brain dead or mm-hmm. drunk or under the influence in some way. So now it's like the drunk sower story in my head. It, it's like, but you're exactly right is as soon as you tell a human, the vast majority of humans, especially if they're inexperienced, which all of us start inexperienced, but man, you better get this right, especially when you say, or it's life or death for these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I I remember studying with somebody, coming back and somebody asked me, how did it go? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, did they obey the gospel? And I'm like, I just met them. They're like, wow. you know, there are stories of people obeying the gospel, the first story. You know, I'm like, what what about the, uh, you know, the the eunuch and, and da, 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 da. You know, Philip just met him one time, you know. And I was like, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible mm-hmm. at this. So the next time, guess what I was trying to do? I was trying to make sure I got it done right. And when it didn't get done right, I got angry. Mm. And all of a sudden, I saw really quickly, I'm becoming the dogmatist in this story. And now I know why all these other people were dogmatic, because people kept telling them, you got to do it right. And when you feel like you can't do something right, and you're being held to it, and especially if you include life or death spiritually, I know why Christians give up. I know why Christians won't even get started. Mm. Uh, because if you're told you got to do this perfectly— the best, the best possibilities or the best option is to not do it at all. Jason, uh, what perplexes you? You know, I, I even hesitate to say this because I really, sometimes I'll say what perplexes me and I have a sense of the answer and it makes me feel a little bit better, but this I, I don't. Um, in verse 12, when Jesus is explaining the parable and he said, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Man, that, that breaks my brain. I, I don't even know how to, you know, First Timothy chapter 2, God wants, you know, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. So God wants people, people to be saved. These people hear the message. Now, they're not like the rocky soil. They didn't receive it with joy. So I'm, I'm trying to take all this into account and keep it in the proper perspective. But that idea that the devil is so actively involved in that and how how do how do I help that? Like like how do I and 
and why didn't Jesus help that? You know, and, and this relates to the dynamic even of the parable at large, where, I mean, can you, I just, I, we may have covered this before, but this dynamic of, hey, Connor, I want you to come to my church and I'm going to preach a message. You're like, okay. And at the end, you're like, nobody understood a word you said. And I'm like, yeah, I meant, I meant that to be. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why would you do that? Why would you preach a sermon that nobody understood, understood a word and only your closest people felt compelled or, or welcome to come and ask for the meaning I mean, it just, it's the opposite of good communication. It's like, man, you need to go to school. But but he's saying, it, it's trying to produce this hunger. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I get that to some degree. It's like, look, we're, we're going to keep casting out this message that, mm-hmm. that God, and, and I keep this in the further, bigger picture of God is working in each individual life. Every single human you meet, God is at work in their life trying to draw them to him. You are a piece of that puzzle, but that's, it's God's work. You, you can participate, you cannot participate. It's God's work. And, and that dynamic I have to keep in mind, but in just from this perspective of the idea, it's, it seems dramatically unfair, you know, and, and I think this, this is where the rub is. We are so much today in Christianity and maybe in the American culture of we've got to consider the other person's perspective. We've got to meet them where they are. It's unfair for us to ask something that's beyond a person. And here, I mean, I just want to point out where we are in, as the United States, at least, we are really unaligned with Jesus's perspective here. Yeah, of this idea of we got to figure out where everybody's coming from. We got to meet them where they are. And I feel like I'm talking like heresy, you know what yeah. I mean? But when I look at this, Jesus is literally the Word of God Himself. He's sharing Himself, the Word of God, and He's sharing it in a way that He's intentionally. He knows it will be confusing and ungrasped. And some of these people, this. Jesus may be the only Bible. This experience may be the only Bible they'll ever read. Mm-hmm. And I just think, man, that is, that's hard for me to get my brain around. Yeah. There seems to be, and this is, the, I think this gets to just the, the mystery of, of Jesus and of God and, uh, and of the whole thing. Like there, this is one of those instances where it just seems like there's so many roadblocks being thrown up. There seems to be almost a, a willful tightening of, of the, of the group that's going to be a part of it or the group that's going to get it or the in crowd. And then other times it seems like there, there, there are moments where Jesus is just like kicking down the doors and saying, hey, everybody come in, everybody, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the, um, the parable of the banquet of, of the great mm-hmm. feast. And I'm thinking about, I mean, so much of the, um, of the Beatitudes and, and, and there's so many different times where there are these things where, you know, Jesus has all these thousands of people listening to him and then he wants to go and be alone with a special few. And, and it's just this weird thing that keeps happening of this, of growth and then contraction of, um, of, of so many people getting it and then, and so few and then almost none getting it. And, and it's just, it's, it's this weird dynamic at play. And I'm wondering in my, I'm just, this is, I'm just thinking out loud. So I'm not saying this is what Jesus is doing or that is there this natural rhythm that Jesus is trying to display here mm-hmm. of, Hey, there are time, man, there are times, there are times when, man, it's going to seem like things are going so well that there's flourishing, that there's, that people are understanding that people are getting, whether I'm thinking, whether it's your family, whether it's the church, whether it's where you're casting your seed. And, and that's part of the natural rhythm. Sometimes people are just going to respond and there's going to be a lot of life. And then another part of life is just that there won't be that there will mm-hmm. be a, a lessening. There will be a contraction. There will be a, um, a tightening of, of an inner group. Or I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. You know, that makes me think, and this, Man, this happens almost every every podcast. I but man, I've never thought about this. Jesus knew he was leaving. Jesus knows the heart of men and how we love to have a king, you know, and and call it not a king, a, a pastor, a preacher, a church leader. We love to have somebody that's our focal point. You know what I mean? 
And we, we see this all the time in a church where you have a, a, oh, this church is growing by leaps and bounds because their preacher, their pastor, their whoever, he's so amazing, so amazing. Well, then that guy ages and, or he leaves the ministry and all of a sudden what's left, you know, and in many cases, not much, or, or it really pales in comparison. And I'm not standing in judgment of that. I'm, I'm making a judgment. I'm not judging any particular situation. I'm just saying it's fascinating the way that Jesus doesn't lead them to fixate on him as a man. And part of the way he does this, I have to assume there's some intentionality to it, is he's going, he's presenting. It's not easy to listen to me. I say things that are confusing or tough. And, and I even think even after the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the people are amazed. But I don't think it's the kind of amaze that's like, man, let's spend a lot of time with him. Let's cuddle up because he just told them, hey, you think yeah. you're doing good and you're doing terrible. You're doing awful. You know? So I'm thinking, is this, is this the natural life cycle of what it is to, of what it is to follow somebody? Uh, and so I, I even think the followers of Jesus, um, while not fairly, their expectations were wrong, were disappointed in who Jesus ended up being, at least mm-hmm. at first. They, they, sure. they come around in, in the end. But I think about, you know, them, they raise... They raised Jesus up to a standard, to an expectation that he's not called or not supposed to meet and would be wrong for him to meet. And they end up being disappointed in, in who he is at, at first. And I think about what happens in a church where man, somebody is just a gifted speaker, a gifted communicator, a gifted leader. And then when they leave or they step down and it's even if it, like there's no nefarious deeds or it's just good and they step down, they age out and the, the church contracts and then those people go and they disseminate i'm wondering is, is like there's me there's part of me that wants to lament that and wants to fight against that but is that part of the natural nature of 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 the process of the church and the process of life of hey when i look at I, there there's a specific church i'm thinking in mind that was that used to be really big and the the preacher the pastor um aged out and then they they closed the doors and and those those people that were there now like they're, they're at a hundred different churches they're at you know completely different list of churches and the influence that this this person had the, the seeds that this person had cast out um that had grown up they're now a part of a hundred other different congregations and and that central pillar the idea of that specific church is gone but the natural life process is that now that that spirit, that process infuses all these other congregations. And I, we, I think we have this tendency to go to lament the lack of the crowd or lament the failing of an of a organization of itself. But I wonder, is it, and I, I, I'm, this is, this is kind of something I'm just going to have to study and look through the whole, the whole the gospels. But I'm wondering, is Jesus modeling a pattern here of, hey, you know, we have this big movement, like, you know, people are welcoming me into the city, you know, they're laying down palmeries, they're shouting Hosanna, and then they all leave and there's nobody, nobody's going to stand beside me. And then eventually you're going to, it's going to, same thing, you're going to rise, you're going to have Pentecost, and then it's, gonna, it's just over and over and over again, there seems to be this arisal and dispersal and arisal and dispersal. And, and is that, is that good? Mm. I, I want to get to what perplexes you, but I want to say this, because I'm, I'm just, oh, it's just so burning in my mind. There from the apostles' perspective, they, I mean, it's astounding that Jesus is about to ascend, and they're like, hey, is this going to be like the kingdom again? You know, like, oh, can I be on your right and left and all this thinking? Like, they're still so human, because to that point, they primarily only connected to the humanity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But at Pentecost, they connect to God. Like, before that, they really weren't connecting to God. They were connecting to the man, Jesus. And I think that's what, what a lot of times our faith is like, whether that's our parents' faith, and we're connecting to them, or to a church system. I've got to always be part of this church, because this church has it right. That, that those things exist to lead you to God. Mm-hmm. But if you're just being led to a human, if you're just being led to a system, don't be surprised if you don't have the real fruit of the Spirit in you and you feel dissatisfied because I'd, I'd want us to ask, am I really connected to God or am I connected to a middle person? And at this point in Jesus' life, he was a middle person. Mm-hmm. He was connecting them to God. Uh, but he wasn't, 
he he was God. You see what I'm saying? Trying to well, figure out how to different. say this. They're well. they're they're not connecting to who like they're not connecting to who Jesus is. They're seeing him as somebody who he is not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so there's connect. And this gets into the whole like the muddiness of just of the relationships of the disciples and Jesus and and what is happening there. And you know, and this is always I think this is always so funny when people are like, you know, when there's a, the argument of when is somebody saved, when is somebody not saved, what does baptism mean? I'm like, man the muddiness of which the decide like you know there's at very few points could you like go like oh this person is saved and you know you you don't have the story for for most of the disciples so moving on to to what perplexes me yeah so it's in 15 um so it says but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and by persevering produce a a crowd very simple for me what does it mean to have a noble heart you know what, what does it mean um what does it mean to have a noble and good heart in this context? I mean, I could do some, I'm sure I could do some study to maybe get some more specifics here, but I just think about, um, yeah, what is it that, what is it that sets somebody else apart? What is it that sets somebody, um, what is it, what is it about a, a particular person that makes them not be entrapped by life's worries and trapped by life's riches and trapped by life's pleasures? What is it? I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, I don't know. Um, because man, I, I like I think about man, even the godliest people I know. I think about myself, and I think not not that sounded really pretentious that I would say I'm the godliest person I know. But I think about people that I know that man, I like I know that like man, I know that I'm loved and I'm accepted by Jesus. And there are people that I know of that man just um, that I, I want to model my faith after that just love the Lord with everything they have. And even even those people have times where they 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 are choked out by life's um mm-hmm. they, they don't always have the noble heart they don't always have the good heart and so yeah this this is just really perplexing to me what this looks like how this plays out um mm-hmm. what does the noble heart come before what is the noble heart like how, how what what is the play here of when it happens and um can somebody ha- can somebody be you know 20 years at uh, 20 years old can they have seed cast out and they're beyond on on a path and then 20 years later they're good soil yeah I, this this whole thing is fascinating yeah, yeah. And so here's here's what immediately jumped to my head. I love this question and I thought about it too, couldn't put it into words well. Um but this dynamic of uh, how I would think nobility comes from connection to God. Yeah. You know. So if this is not if this is pre-connection to God and of course when does God's work begin in our lives and you know you have all those questions, but I I immediately went to Acts 17, it's about the middle of chapter, chapter verse 10 or so where Paul is walking uh, into the town of Berea, and it says they were of more noble character than wherever he had been before, and and how it describes their nobility. Now, keep in mind they didn't have the gospel, so they were noble prior to receiving the gospel, and they were eager to hear. And I'm, okay, that's nobility is the person that just wants to accept the gospel, but then they would go examine it to see if it was true. Meaning they were high questioning. They were not just accepting. Oh, man of God, he can do a few miracles. I, there's no evidence he did miracles there, but we might assume that it was his practice. And then now they're noble because they want to believe. It's not that they want to believe. Mm-hmm. They and I, I just put this out there as the antithesis of who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first learned the gospel, I became more closed. I was told, "You'll be so open-minded, your brain will fall out." So I was taught, "Don't be, don't listen to anything else." Beside, you just learn what the truth is and everything else is counterfeit and just disavow any other idea you hear about God other than what we told you, whoever the trusted we were in that story. And and this is the opposite. These people are hearing Paul, the very apostle of God, and they're not called noble. Like this is linked to it. They're a more noble character. So they received it. They wanted to hear this, which from their perspective was new crazy talk. This guy of, of see, we think it's so common sense because it's Jesus because we've heard it. 
But if you'd never heard this story and you're like, okay, God came in the form of a human. Well, that sounds like Zeus and Hercules, you know, this kind of thing. You oh, know? I've heard this story. It's it's the emperor in Rome. Right. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, the guy, it's the guy who's going to have all the power. It's the guy who's going to rule with an iron fist. And yeah. Right. And so, and so this is this is heresy from their vantage point, but they are eager to hear the new thing and they don't accept it at face value. They examine it. And I think that's the opposite of how I was trained. Hmm. I was trained, don't examine too close because we want you to accept what we're saying. This is what the Bible says. Hmm. Oh, that's, I think that's very helpful for me. Um, there's so much here that I think that we could talk for, we could talk for ages on and, um, you know, just we, we won't because of time constraints. But uh, I, I would encourage you. I'm sure there's a dozen things that uh, you've heard in this passage that really amaze and perplex you. Um, or there's something that we said that you're like, man, that I hadn't thought about this way. Or, man, I think I have an answer. Or, man, I think I have something to build off what you said. We would love to hear that. And so if you want to get in contact with us, uh, you can go to our website at amazeandperplexed.com. Grace, peace, and love.